Um, I hope that made sense. Oh, it totally did. Okay. Although I want to joke about if you give a mouse a cookie, because I felt like that was an if you oh. give a mouse a cookie. It <laughs> <laughs> is one of my favorite books. <laughs> I reference that all the time, too, yes. on the podcast. Yes, it's so good. Oh, yes. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 105. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about humility one last time. Well, at least for now. Our new favorite saint, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, is quoted as saying, the three most important virtues are humility, humility, and humility, end quote. These last few weeks, we've been really digging deeply into what humility is and what to look out for when it comes to the pitfalls of pride. And so we find ourselves here at the precipice of humility. What does it actually look like to start nurturing it in our hearts and in our relationships? We'll wrap up the conversation today by taking a closer look. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter, and for just $5 a month, you will have exclusive access to our sister podcast, The Friday Finishing School. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash the modern lady podcast. Another way that you can support this show is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are also so thankful for every rating, review, and comment you leave us. Your reviews on iTunes help new listeners discover us. This week's shout out goes to one of our listeners from Ireland, the Apple Muffin, who so kindly left us a five-star rating and said, quote, Michelle and Lindsay do an amazing job at balancing lighthearted material with more serious topics. They make me laugh in every episode, but I'm also always left thinking about what they said. God bless you, ladies. Keep up the great work. End quote. Thank you so much, The Apple Muffin, for your comment, and hello to you in Ireland! That is awesome, and we were so excited to see your review. We really appreciate you reaching out and are glad we're able to connect with you over both lighthearted conversation and deeper topics. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. We return one last time to the mid-18th century. We are looking through the school workbook of a 14-year-old George Washington who copied out the 110 Rules of Civility. Last week, we learned that we should not lean in too closely while talking, and not to show how inwardly pleased we are when a criminal is punished. Let's look now at a few more rules of civility. Rule number 51. Wear not your clothes foul, ripped, or dusty, but see they be brushed once every day at least. Now, I've wanted to do a whole tip on clothes brushing, so I will look into that further for you guys because it's something that fascinates me, actually. Another tip about clothing. Rule number 54, play not the peacock, looking everywhere about you to see if you be well decked, if your shoes fit well, if your stockings sit neatly and clothed handsomely. 
Rule number 55. Eat not in the streets, nor in the house, out of season. Okay, that's all that one says, and I don't really know what that means. In our times, eating seasonal street food is super on trend. Rule number 81. Be not curious to know the affairs of others, neither approach those that speak in private. Now, we have all learned about curiosity over the last two weeks and how it links to pride, so that's an important one. Rule number 89. Speak not evil of the absent, for it is unjust. Rule number 92. Take no salt or cut bread with your knife greasy. Rule number 99. Drink not too leisurely, nor yet too hastily. Before and after drinking, wipe your lips and breathe not then or ever with too great a noise, for it is uncivil. And we will end with the final rule in his notebook, which happens to be my favorite. Rule number 110. Labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. So for any of you interested in reading all 110 rules of civility, and I actually suggest that you do because our society has forgotten so many of these just simple manners. And actually, I'm going to go over them with my kids, but you can go to the website www.mountvernon.org. Wow. There were some real gems in this one too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think I understand what he's saying about not boasting about your shoes, essentially, <laughs> but yeah. they should fit. They yes. should fit. I take exception to that one. And also now I'm um, perhaps unduly concerned about how I drink water. now I fear I'm going to choke because I'm afraid I'm either drinking too slow or too fast or breathing too loudly while I'm drinking it thank you George Washington (laughs) okay are you still with us everyone this journey through pride and humility has been rather intense we know but the best is yet to come if pride is slavery then today we break those chains once and for all. It won't necessarily be easy, but it will be 100% worth it. Right, Lindsay? Yes, it is. And let me just start by saying that we had no idea that this was going, that there was going to be a third episode on humility. (laughs) (laughs) And while we weren't expecting this, I guess neither one of us is surprised though, because this is exactly why we've been putting off this topic um, for as long as we have. We've been wanting to do an episode on humility, but we Mm -hmm. understood right from the get-go that there was just so much to say. Now, what did surprise me is just how much all of you are enjoying these episodes. We didn't know if any of you would care about it quite as much as we care about it. It is something that is a big part of our own personal lives. And we've gotten a lot of messages from so many of you that have just said that this is the wake up call you needed, or it's something you have just like, didn't think you needed to work on until you heard it. And you're really actually happy to be doing this work now. So I know it's cliched, but there is so much comfort to know that we are not alone in this struggle. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit too, especially after recording last week's episode and Mm -hmm. talking a lot more about how um, pride cuts us off from people the deeper and deeper you get into it and how like just doing these episodes and being able to talk to so many other people about either starting the journey or process along the way and what we all think and 
yeah, just considering this topic, but together in community was a really interesting uh, juxtaposition to pride and to what we're learning about humility. That is such a great point because you're right. It's taking us out of our isolation, right? It's yeah. like the first step, like we were saying, and, you know, being freed from the bondage that is pride um, is the fact that we're talking about it. And the other reason why, I mean, we thought we should talk about it, and this is just a simple one, is that we reference humility all the time in our episodes. And we just thought, you know, it's really time that we define it. But as we <laughs> usually define things in every episode, and we can usually define something, you know, within a couple of sentences, this one took three episodes. So <laughs> here we are. Um, yes. Now, Michelle, you sent me a video before, when we were starting our research on this about um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux's work, right, on humility. And we can put mm-hmm. that video, the, the longer version of his works uh, in the show notes. But there was something that I heard on that video that really struck me. And it was this. You don't need to find or create new ways to be humble. Just take the same steps that you ascended to pride and walk back down. The first thing that you were prideful about should be the first thing that you grow humble about. So that's where we're at. We're at the top of the mountain and we are about to work our way back down. Mm, I really like that way of looking at things because, well, as we see from the amount of time we've taken to talk our way around humility, it can seem very big. Mm-hmm. And when things are big, it's intimidating. But to kind of break it down like that, and as we're going to do, break it down even further into St. Bernard's um, 12 Steps to Deeper Humility now, um, it gives us bite-sized portions and really uh, practical, real-life ways that we can start undoing so many of these knots. Some of them we may not have even known were there, Mm -hmm. still don't know that are there, right? So it is entirely possible and we're not just left stranded, as it were, at the top of this mountain. So before we get into these 12 steps then, um, just to recap, we're taking this from a a book written by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who we introduced last week. We focused last week just on his 12 degrees or 12 steps of pride. And he also, though, wrote these 12 degrees to deeper humility. So that's where we're um, basing this week's episode off of to come down this pride mountain. So um, follow us in this analogy. We went up with St. Bernard and we're coming down the mountain still with St. Bernard. He wrote both sets of rules, both sets of steps to look out for. And so, Lindsay, what is the first step on the way to true humility? Well, we also just want to acknowledge that just like you need a Sherpa uh, sometimes to help you on a mountain, <laughs> there was another work that we read that helped us with St. Bernard's, which was the work by Monsignor Charles Pope. So when you Google mm. these 12 steps, you will also come across his work. And that's what we're also working off of now as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I bet you yeah. he's never... <laughs> thought of being called St. Bernard's Sherpa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, that's his title. His <laughs> new title. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay, so we're at the top of the mountain. We need to start working our way down. And I can't think of a better place to be standing when considering this first one, which is the fear of God. So Mm. literally put yourself at the top of the mountain, see the world below and the heavens above and just be completely stunned by God and his majesty. So this first step is a healthy fear of God. 
This is different from somehow other religions, past and present, view God or their gods. Fearing God is a natural result from seeing yourself as you truly are. And we've said that many times. We seem to be talking about self-awareness a lot again this season. It keeps coming up. So if you haven't listened to our self-awareness episode, uh, we'd suggest going back and listening to that because there we explain more detail um, about what we mean when we say seeing ourselves through God's eyes. But yeah, it's um, when you do that and you then again, understand your place in this world, you see God for who he is. And then there's a natural wonder and awe and an adoration fueled fear of a God that you love and that you desire to please out of that love, not out of fear. Mm-hmm. It was like at the very end of last week's episode, when I think you were talking about looking down behind you once you've climbed all the steps up mm-hmm. to reach the peak of pride and you see all the people that you trampled on to get mm-hmm. there ultimately. Um, now at the top of the mountain, it's almost like you look up, right? Yeah. You stop looking down and you look up. And when you are at the top of a mountain, you're fully exposed and you can't help but take in the whole picture, the big picture. You truly are seeing things from God's perspective at the top of a mountain. And I think when we begin to look at God, what happens is that we start to look away from ourselves and that that helps us to start breaking the chains of our pride a god's eye view i love that Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) right now and i think this one i I think it's even though it seems like it starts in baby steps right um as it gets as you grow closer and closer to humility i think this is such an incredibly hard first step um because it's in such contrast to the message that the world is giving us these days Mm -hmm. seeing ourselves as small No, 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 no. That's the opposite of everything that's telling us about self-love and, you know, preaching your authentic truth and having your voice heard and that you matter and you get a participation medal and all of these things. It's, it's very, very contrast, um, in contrast to today's secular message and then fearing an invisible deity. Oh, the horror, Michelle, the horror. (laughs) You're going to be scared of some guy up in the sky. Um, if you can accept that first step, it is a monumental mm-hmm. step forward uh, as you work your way back down the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I think looking further into these steps, the one thing I kept referring back to again and again is that the other things actually can't happen mm-hmm. um, without this first step. And we'll really dig into what that means a little bit more as we go on. But I, yeah, you're right. This is the pivotal moment. Like mm-hmm. this is when you decide to descend down off the mountain right until you make that conscious choice and in our culture today it's going to have to be a very conscious very deliberate choice to do this um you won't descend you'll just stay up there and then as the saying goes it's all downhill from there (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're gonna get down that mountain whether you take the step or you fall like you're not going to stay at the top. You're going to work your way down. Yeah, that's right. But you have to take the step. And so this first deliberate action then leads us to the next step, which is abnegation of self-will. I'm glad you said it. I'm like abnegation, abnegation. I've never said that word in my life. <laughs> There's a lot of consonant consonants right beside each other. <laughs> yes. Um, I did look it up just to make sure we all knew what we were talking about with that word. And it's rejecting yes. or renouncing something. So yep, abnegation of self-will, detaching from self, 
from what pleases me, right? Mm. What I want to do all the time. And again, the world says, look after yourself first, do what makes you happy. And you know what we're left with? A trail of broken families. Like it, this Mm. message, no other generation before has really pushed that narrative so hard on just everyday people. I'm not talking about like the absolute rule of Kings, right. Who had that inflated sense of self, just your average people. That message has been really pushed into us, um, over the last, I'd say 30 years. I I call this the Mm -hmm. Oprahfication. I've used this word before. Um, having been a teenager throughout the nineties and having come home from school and watched Oprah every day, it was all about you, you, you don't like your job, quit it. Don't like your marriage, leave it. Don't like your hair, get a makeover. It was just mm-hmm. like, do what makes you feel good. Um, so yeah, I think that that message, it's pretty clear to most people that that, while it might push you forward, it leaves a, a lot of people around you feeling pretty abandoned and hurt. Mm-hmm. And you're right that it must have been pretty recent because even President Kennedy, right, who mm. says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. Like, even then you see that spirit of like, no, what can I do for other people as opposed to what you're saying with this oprification of our current situation of no, no, what can everyone do for me? Yes. Because I am the center here. Yep. And when I looked at the word abnegation, I think it's important to consider that we're not just cutting something out completely like our will and leaving a gaping hole. Right. Right. So nature hates a vacuum. Um, And I'm finding this to be pretty common in terms of spiritual growth, actually, that anytime there is a stripping away or a cutting back or a renouncing of something in my life, uh, there's always something better that is ready to replace it more grace, a virtue, more understanding, a bit more maturity maybe, or strength. So perhaps it it helps to reframe this abnegation of self-will in terms of a trade-in, if you will. Your will for God's. Um, You're not voluntarily losing yourself into a void. You're voluntarily offering your life to your maker to see what he will do with it. Yes. So as Christians, we should be asking God what pleases him throughout our days. And even Mm -hmm. non-Christians could see the benefit of thinking outside of ourselves, right? While making decisions, you know, just that idea, the exercise of learning to think about others first is something that I do think has been, it's not a reflex anymore. And it Mm -hmm. does seem like it was a reflex throughout most of history. Now, This is just the first step, though, asking, you know, what God's will is for the day. The second step, though, involves doing God's will and a total Mm -hmm. acceptance of what he wills. And that involves the next thing, Michelle. (laughs) Right. This brings us to the third step. We're only on number three. Um, (laughs) It feels like much more. But we find ourselves here at obedience. So after having surrendered our will to God's, our hearts are in a better place. They're in a better disposition to be more capable and willing to obey. It moves us from the hearing to the heeding of God's word, of his will, and to surrendering our own. It's basically like the um, the will to do something and then the actual doing of it. Yeah, because why on earth would we ask, right? Ask him what his will is without being willing to then follow it. So it really has to be the next step. Now, obedience is a bad word today. It really is. It's a foul word. Mm -hmm. Um, Seriously, most people are repulsed 
by the notion of obedience. I would love for us to do an entire episode on this topic because I used to be one of those people and my whole view on obedience has become like radically transformed over the years. But basically Mm -hmm. it's a conquering of self and placing, placing trust in others, others who love us, who want what's best for us. And especially God, uh, there's no one on this earth that loves you or wants, um, you know, what's best for you more than God. There is a freedom in obedience. We think of guardrails on a mountain. (laughs) We're going to keep using mountains here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You look at it, guardrails, right? Without knowing what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, they're locking me in. I want the freedom to run around. But we don't often see the sheer deadly drop on the other side of those guardrails. Now, I've fallen over that side before and I barely made it out alive. So I really have yeah, totally and radically been transformed by my deepening understanding of what obedience is. Mm-hmm. I think you make a really good point that to obey someone or to surrender to someone or something takes a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can skip over that because it's so critical. Like if you don't trust someone to have your best interests at heart, you'll have an almost impossible time (laughs) letting your guard down and then immediately that relationship is stunted, right? So in terms of this relationship that we're seeking uh, with God and in our journey towards having a more humble heart, I think it's neat to kind of look at this from a logical contingent sort of a pathway that if humility is seeing things as they truly are, which is God for who he is and we us for who we are, then we first need to take an honest look at ourselves, but also strive to know God, which brought us to the first step. And if we seek to know him, we will grow in a personal relationship with him. If we grow in a relationship, we will realize he has our ultimate good. If we realize this, we'll begin to trust him more. When we trust God more, we're more willing to surrender control. Uh, And when we surrender our will to God's, we can be sure that we're resting in humility and that we're safe here, like you said with the guardrails. Um, but the first step truly begins with wonder at and seeking out God and knowing him. Otherwise, uh, we can't trust that those guardrails are actually there for a reason in the first place. So once we decide to do this, um, <laughs> this will bring us to the fourth step, which is patient endurance. <laughs> you know, naturally, as we begin to try to Hashtag be better. That will never die either. It's never going to (laughs) die. Nope. We may have to expect to come up against some resistance. Now, this can happen um, both interiorly and exteriorly. Uh, Monsignor Pope talks about this in his reflections. So interiorly, for example, our own bodies often rebel once we start introducing discipline you know, even um, such crazy mundane things like exercise (laughs) or trying to cut out junk food, we often experience this craving to go back to what is known and comfortable, even though it might be harmful to us. And we have to expect that to happen even um, spiritually and character building wise. Now, exteriorly, it may be other people, It may be the world or the culture. Um, It may be tempting to give up the fight to better ourselves and to grow stronger in character in favor of, you know, the comfort of just giving in to ourselves. After all, we're fine. We're not that bad, right? Mm. And in these cases too, um, Monsignor Pope says, gentle but firm perseverance is essential and it will ultimately win out. 
Yes. Now, obedience isn't really obedience, right? If we aren't trusting and following in everything, in all things, because we can be right on board with this. We're like, okay, great. I see, you know, I fear God in a healthy way and I'm ready to renounce my self-will. I'm obedient until things start happening. Like you're saying, like until we're tested a little bit. (laughs) And that's when this next one really comes in, patient endurance. I love this one. So I am not by my very nature, a patient person, especially when I'm communicating with people. Um, I just, I'm not patient. (laughs) I need you to come back really quickly with something to say, but I will be honest. And the truth is I can actually patiently endure most hardships, but, but so when I look back over my life, I think, well, I handled that really, really well. It's always been rooted in my pride and stubbornness. So there's actually different ways, I think, to be patiently um, endure, enduring. And so mm-hmm. I, I've always been able to do it. But now when I look at it in a spiritual sense, and I see it as a way to delay pleasures, to exist in being uncomfortable, and to keep my mouth shut, <laughs> and to turn to silent mm-hmm. prayer, I realize now what strength it takes to surrender to that, right? So I might have been able to patiently endure things before, but it wasn't rooted in the right place. And so I'm really right now learning to just embrace the uncomfortableness as things are happening and then continue like just lean completely on God then during that time. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I think if we expect that and then lean into it, like what you said, we don't fool ourselves on the outset that this is going to be easy. Yeah. Um, then that patient endurance may not be quite such a shock or a challenge when we get to this point. Yeah. And that we're not doing it by on our own strength, on our own merit and by our own mm. accord. Right. So I was always like, I did this. I endured this. And yes, I'm not saying that there isn't an element of our own character, right. That has to endure these things, but yeah, that it was about real, um, relinquishing control again, letting go of that going, I did this on my own merit because that for me was my pride over and over again. So yeah, this one patient endurance really struck me. So the next step is disclosure of heart. Now this is actually a really difficult thing to do too. Um, It requires us to admit the wounds in our own hearts and to confront things that cause us discomfort or even pain. Mm. Um, In our culture, we want to be seen as people who have it all together, totally, right? And we often, I think, want to actually believe it for ourselves too. But what this step is prompting us to do is to honestly look at our hearts and admit that there are parts of us that are sad or hurting. Um, And then we can open ourselves to something to heal those hurts because we acknowledge they're there. And you know, remembering that these steps are cumulative, like the steps of pride, they build on the previous degrees. So we can acknowledge that what will be filling those holes will be the ultimate good for our ultimate good. We just need to trust the process and the guide. Yeah. When you were just talking, it made me remember the book, um, brave new world where they don't want to feel anything. Mm. So they keep taking drugs to like not feel anything unpleasant. Right. 
mm-hmm. we're there now. And and if even if people aren't taking pharmaceuticals or um, intoxicants to try to distract their minds from what they're really feeling to escape, and I'm not blaming people for having to do that. I'm just saying that we're there. Um, mm-hmm. Then if we're not doing that, we're reading books about happiness. Um, I even believe the, the happiness project, like just things where it's like happy, 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 be happy all the time. And yes. so- And then, but at the same time, there's such a juxtaposition between being a culture that's also about like, let's talk about mental health. Let's be open about our struggles. Um, I feel like there's a really conflicting message coming with that. And again, we turn here to what, well, what does the church say? What does God say about this? And I heard a remarkable thing uh, when I was listening to Deacon Jeremiah Hahn, soon to be Father Jeremiah Mm. Hahn. And yes, that Hahn for the Catholics who are listening, Scott Hahn's (laughs) son. Um, He was giving an interview discussing his vocation to the priesthood. And he shared as part of his formation in seminary that he underwent a very emotional experience. And it involved him having to revisit in his mind his most upsetting experiences. And he Mm. had to feel those feelings. I, instead of running from them, instead of bottling them up, we're all really good at, you know, throwing up our defenses, even talking about this, just like my heart is pounding and my blood is going through my veins. This idea of actually having to go back through those memories and be present in them. But the focus in, mm. on this exercise was that he had to see God there. He had to place God there. He might not have seen God during when it was actually happening. So he had to place him there. And then in doing that, he understood two things. A, God sees everything that we're doing. So for good or for bad, he had to just accept it. But B, God was there and he does see everything that we're doing for good or for bad. And so that he is with us. This was a transformative experience for him. And I'm thinking a lot about that for my own life. I don't know if I can do it yet, but this disclosure Mm -hmm. of heart, this, this opening up of our hearts of disclosing our sin of showing forgiveness and mercy to others. And finally admitting to ourselves that we're not always right. And that we have hurt others and that we've made some pretty big mistakes and just feeling that laying that bare. Whoa, like that's Mm -hmm. huge. And we're only at step five. I know. (laughs) And we thought step three was (laughs) Felt yeah. so much further on Woo! yeah it's getting really it, it I think we can see even from this but from so many other things too that our, a relationship with God is um wonderful and deep and intense yeah. <laughs> right um that reminds me of that meme or cartoon I can't remember exactly what it is but you and I both love it right mm-hmm. it's of this little girl offering Jesus her heart and she's saying this is all I have and he says, it's all I want. Mm. Um, and so when we get to this part of growing in humility, I think part of the struggle is that I can't, I can't let anybody see this, not even God. Like right. this is, even showing it is going to add to our hurt in our yeah. own minds. And while we can't um, foresee what other human beings <laughs> would do if we disclosed our heart, Um, We know for sure what God will do when we do that to him. He only wants to heal. He's he's not asking you to do this to shame or to embarrass or um, to, you know, put marks, tally marks against you or something like that. He's only asking to help you heal it. I love that so much. And I and I really think 
if there's one thing to take away from that and meditate on is, yeah, you can't predict how others would react, like what you just said, other humans, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we project that onto God, but we don't have to. Yeah, the message yes. is loud and clear. Just give him your heart. Disclose it all. He was there anyways, as we know. And so <laughs> it's just finally yeah. us acknowledging that he was there. <laughs> it's like, okay, I see you now. Yeah. It's like I know that you know yes. that I now know that you know. Okay. Yes. <laughs> also known as disclosure of heart, right? <laughs> yes. I'm not quite as eloquent as Saint Bernard of Clair- Clairvaux, but we're just going to keep on trying. <laughs> so we'll move on to the sixth step, which is contentedness with what is. And again, this comes both in an exterior sense and an interior sense. And I believe that both are important. We live in a wildly materialistic, marketable, sensational kind of a culture. And being content is something we may pay lip service to. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's much harder to understand than we think on the surface. Like what this degree really boils down to is an acceptance of God's plan in the world around us. And this ability to not be unsettled because we have a firmer uh, understanding and a confidence interiorly of our place in all of it. So we can rest in asking God what he wants, do our best where we can, and then just leave the rest to him in that trust and faith. Yes. And it is trendy. I feel like it's a trendy word right now, contentedness, just being content with Mm -hmm. what you have. Um, it is a great thing for all of us to practice. That's why it is something that I think a lot of people are talking about just in the secular world. There is external acceptance, like what you were talking about, like accepting our place in life, our gifts, our blessings, our wounds, the things we don't have and won't ever have. But yeah, this internal contentedness too, which is the freedom from resentment. Now, Monsignor Pope mm. says this very simple prayer. It is enough, O oh Lord. I am most grateful. I can't even, I almost cried. It is oh so good, goodness. right? It is enough, yes. oh Lord. I am most grateful. Like I need that and <laughs> flashing lights throughout my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know what, as a side note, so we're now halfway through these steps to humility and I'm realizing more and more um, how critical that first step is once again to know God and to trust him in order to work through a lot of these things like it's so essential and what strikes me is that now um, it's becoming obvious why pride may be so rampant and humility is so unknown in our culture Mm. because little by little culture has erased God almost completely and given the choice who is easier to pursue yourself, Mm -hmm. who you have right here, literally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to know and to work with, and is actually quite pleasant to give into. Yes. Um, Or God, who is constantly being crowded out, put down, erased, ignored, ridiculed. Like, how much more effort is it today to fight through all of this noise to be able to seek him out in the first place? And maybe that's one reason why this is such a struggle for so many of us today. Okay, so we're at number seven, and it's lucid self-awareness, and we are back to self-awareness again. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. (laughs) Yep. So this is about an increasing awareness of self, which happens as we move further back down the mountain and draw closer to God. As we draw closer to God, again, we see ourselves more and more clearly. It's like 
when the brighter the sun is, the more defined the dark shadows are, right? The darker mm. they are. And the more the sun shines, the brighter it is, the more we can see the fingerprints all over our back sliding doors from all of the children who touched the glass nonstop. Um, <laughs> that's what God is. It's that shining reflection. And the brighter he is in our lives, the clearer we see him, the more we're going to see the shadows and the darkness and the marks all over our souls. And so that's what it is, this lucid, clear understanding of who we are Mm-hmm. I loved the addition of lucid to self-awareness, right? Because it really does take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest takeaway for me is this, that there is a lot of distraction in the form of temptation to become anything else except for what God intended me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we try to strip away from that noise and focus on who we actually are, Um, then the more open we become to receive more revelation on who we are supposed to be. (laughs) And it's an interesting twist that we actually grow in confidence the more we let go of who we think we should be, who we want to be, and instead leave ourselves open for God to reveal that to us. And I think it's so interesting. This just jumped out at me right now because, again, this just proves... My previous confusion I had between pride and humility, because this type of lucid self-awareness, this getting to know Mm. yourself to me before would have been like so tied in with pride. Like it's about me, me, me. But it's again, it's just not, I I think it's so fascinating that these tools too, that we're using to grow detached from our sense of self and from our ego um, still involves so much reflecting on yourself (laughs) and so much self, like it's such a part of this. Um, But like you're saying, as, as we're moving down the mountain now, we should be like drawing more into conversation with God, like drawing closer to him. And that at this point, I, I really see that this is where you would start to develop like a continuous conversation where we're now really learning to turn to him first. And we're truly ready for what he asks of us at this point. And actually, this leads right into the next one, which is submission to common rule. This is the next step. So Monsignor Pope says that contrary to the proud person who resists being told what to do and is largely insensitive to the needs of others or the common good, the humble person becomes aware of the effects we have on others and that we must learn to work with others to accomplish goals larger than ourselves. And so I I find this one really stark um, because If you think about it, it's all of a sudden pivoted from an interior progress towards humility to looking outward at other people. Did you notice the shift? Mm -hmm. Um, And it corresponds with the two great commandments that Jesus gives to us, which is first to love God, which we've done. And then now, number two, to love our neighbor. And in this list of 12 steps, there really is a startling turn where once we're at least on the pathway towards seeking relationship and deep connection to God and his will, then the spirit is already prompting us to start looking around us um, to other people and their needs too. I'm just scrolling through my notes here because I'm like, okay, yeah, love God, love others, love self. Yep, it's not in there. I'm just still waiting for like this <laughs> this holdout where it's like, and now you love yourself. Nope, there is no loving self. <sighs> There's no third part to that saying. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. So this submission, this beautiful surrender to the greater good, it sounds so wonderful. 
But this post, written by a Monsignor Pope, was written in 2013, and no one could have predicted the state of the world right now <laughs> and the current situation, right? We mm. have a different circumstance. And, and I really never before has there been like fake news and false science and deep fake videos and everyone claiming to be an expert. So this one I find to be the most hard to swallow one out of everything, just because of our current situation, the submission to common rule. Mm -hmm. But I love this idea of just loving others. I think that that mm -hmm. is, if we strip everything else away from this one, you're right. It's about loving others. And that will always bring us to that golden rule, right? The common rule, yeah. the golden rule. And yeah, there's going to be little aspects and this is a very nuanced conversation, but it's just that surrender to loving others and treating others how you'd like to be treated. And I think that that right now in the midst of everything is the takeaway from number eight. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this priority of loving other people. Um, I think that is like what you're saying. It's the key. And it reminded me of one of the recent reflections from In Conversation with God, uh, which is a seven book series uh, filled with daily reflections on the gospel readings of the day. And this one was just from last week. And it, the book says, quote, in any age, we Christians should not be indifferent to the society of which we form part. We try to act responsibly in our temporal affairs so as to transform them from inside with a new spirit. The further removed it seems Christ is from a place, the more urgently do Christians need to be present there so as to bring, as the first ones in the faith did, the salt of Christ and give back to man his human dignity so often lost. End quote. So yes, this whole idea of submission to common rule, I think, is just accepting, really, that to a certain extent, we may not be able to change uh, exterior circumstances, but we always have both a choice and a responsibility even to go out there and to be in the world so that we can love the other people in it. Okay, so the next one is silence. Now we did a whole episode on silence and this is still one of my greatest challenges. I think that I deserve to weigh in on everything, to share my opinion, to share my experiences and version of events. I mean, I have a podcast, right, Michelle? Yeah, <laughs> I have that in my notes too. You? I said, she says, speaking into a microphone on a podcast, dot, dot, dot. Yes. Oh, irony. Thy name is Michelle. There you go. <laughs> yes. So we know this to be true of ourselves so much so that we did. We recorded an entire podcast episode on desiring to enter into silence. So we hear you, God, loud and clear. We'll continue to work on this one. But the one thing I really took from what Monsignor Pope said is that he says that as humility grows, we become better listeners. So mm. just when I think I am making my way down the mountain, I realize just how much further I have to go. But yeah, I really love that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a sign of respect, right? Mm. And a show of humility that you believe that someone else may also have something important to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And I think this one is so relevant today because there's no shortage of tempting soap boxes to stand on right yes. now. Like you can just pick one. They're all just sitting there <laughs> begging for us to step right up and let loose yeah. with all the thoughts on all the things. Um, but the thing about being the one up on a soapbox is that you're not seeing people at eye level 
and you may be missing critical information from the other person. It's not a conversation. This is not a relationship if you're not willing to meet someone eye to eye and reciprocate speaking and then, like you said, listening. So this actually aids the next step on the journey to humility, which is emotional sobriety. Now, this one really interested me because I don't think I've ever heard that term before, mm-hmm. but I loved it. And it makes it actually makes a lot of sense. So Monsignor Pope says that, you know, when we are proud and egocentric, we tend to be loose cannons with our emotions. <laughs> <laughs> And this is due a lot of the time to those steps of pride, like our inordinate curiosity, uh, our mental levity, our giddiness. Um, And these cause our interior selves to be more excessive, right? And we have less discipline and self-control. One of the things that I've noticed, especially this past year, is this inability to hear an opposing side Mm. without becoming really emotional and without it being perceived very much as a personal attack. I know, I will admit, I've been on both sides of this all year. And I can tell you that I don't like being on the receiving end of this (laughs) at all. (laughs) Yeah. And so I hate to think that there were times that I may have inflicted my lack of emotional sobriety on other people too. Um, But like what Monsignor Pope again says about this step is when you have a better grasp on humility, your confidence comes from God and your relationship with him, not on the world, what's going on in it and whether you're right or wrong. Um, And it's not to say that you'll never be emotional about things, but this trend of being offended or the fear of offending so easily, I think it really does point out a real problem in society that finds its security in everything other than unshakable truth. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a emotional drunkness. It truly is. Mm. It, and mm. I can say that as somebody who definitely succumbs to that. Um, this is, again, like we were saying, the opposite of giddiness, um, the opposite of levity and the curiosity that we've already learned yeah. so much about. And just to reiterate, it is about self-control, custody of the mind. That's another topic we'd like to delve deep into. Yes. Um, you know, that means just simply like just controlling again, what enters into your consciousness, into your mind. But it also means not being ruled by fear. And Mm. that's a huge one right now and not carried off by gossip and hearsay and gosh, article and journal and journal piece and Mm. statistic and piece of data and the 24 seven news cycle, just not being ruled by those things, which is very different than being informed. Um, So it's just, yeah, staying sober in the midst of so many things that are trying to push all of our buttons, right? So many things more. I, I would honestly say more than ever before in history and history has thrown some really bad curveballs at people, (laughs) but never with so many uh, methods of stimulus at the same time Mm. that we have Mm -hmm. right now. So trying to remain sober in the middle of all of that, that is a huge uh, thing that most of us will have a lot of trouble trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no, um, it's very hard to find an escape from it Mm -hmm. today. Right. Whereas before you could, you could just walk away once it started to get really overwhelming and definitely taking those breaks and those pauses help maintain that emotional sobriety. And perhaps we just need to take a look at our environments and just 
in what we live in today and our circumstances and understand that maybe we need to come up with a better way of coping with a constant and incessant stream of things that are pricking at every emotion that we have. And if we recognize that that is what's actually happening, we might be able to navigate it with a little bit more clarity. Okay. So this leads into number 11, which is restraint in speech. So it's like, yeah, the, uh, the opposing side of what we were just talking about. So this again is a big one for me. It's just this, it's the opposite of silence from two points ago. Um, But it's, it's taking another step further. And this is something that I've actually actively been working on over the last couple of months. Um, And it's being a beacon of peace. That sounds so lofty. It just sounds so um, mm. <laughs> kind of new agey. I am a beacon of peace. Um, <laughs> right. Because I'm so not. Um, so not only do I love weighing in on things, I'm often in a position where I'm consulted on some things. Um, there is some, th- uh, you know, some things in our life and some knowledge that I have or that Jason has that a lot of people turn to me or to both of us for questions. I'm consulted on a lot of things and it gets me all worked up, right? But for the wrong reasons. So a priest just asked me to meditate on why I love being in the middle of all of these things, why I need um, to feel... Like I should be answering everybody's questions. I need to meditate on these things because it's important that we do say what we need to say. But I think that tempering that with like our tone, with slowing down how we speak, everything I'm not good at. um, I think that that is really, really important so that that restraint does help me spread that peace as I continue to try to become a beacon of peace. (laughs) I'm just envisioning it now as a graphic to share on Instagram with a beautiful, serene background at a lake, maybe. It's like, I am a beacon of peace. (laughs) I pictured it like I'm a lighthouse, actually, and I'm just shooting light out of my mouth and my hands and my eyes. And I guess that's a lot more frightening. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> wow okay with um <clears throat> such a strong visual <laughs> in our minds <laughs> oh, restraint in speech and visuals <laughs> um, <laughs> but seriously though i i do see what you're saying about how challenging it is right and yeah. i was reflecting on this point too and i wonder if it's the risk of seeming like uh, to the world anyways like you're weak. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't yell as loud as the other person, if you don't dig and push and prod and shriek as much as your opponent does, you're worse than the loser. You're weak and you can't stand up for yourself. Yeah. Like that's the connotation I think it has in our world today. It's not a strength of restraint. It's a weakness, but it isn't the same thing. I've experimented with this on myself (laughs) um, at various points this year. And you know what? It does work to diffuse a lot of situations. And what's helped is considering that the other person may still very much see their ability to win an argument or to get a point across as the marker of their security and value. Like they're Mm -hmm. still there. And if we don't need that for ourselves, then perhaps it can even be a charity to the other person to practice restraint. Um, 
not responding in kind. So you can respond, of course, but um, not in the same way. And then it shows them that their life, their perspective, it doesn't threaten you. They don't need to be afraid that they're going to offend you, that we're going to walk away from them, that they are still very much loved and valued by you, that to you, this is a relationship, not an argument. Again, right? We see how humility wants to foster community as opposed to pride, which is so isolating in the sense that it's me, my way, and no one else. And I love that it's the word restraint, right? It isn't a total silencing of. It does mean that you need to employ self-control, carefulness over what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm so all or nothing. And just to pull out a Dr. Phil thing, which I do every once in a while, which is hilarious because I haven't read or watched (laughs) Dr. Phil in 20 years, but (laughs) some of them stick. And so he always Mm -hmm. called these people right fighters. I am a right fighter. I'll just Mm. fight to prove that I'm right. And, um, as we said before, which means somebody else has to be wrong. I have to prove someone wrong then, which is the flip side of that, which is a horrible thing. So it's not saying that you don't stand up for yourself, that you don't, you know, speak the truth or whatever, all those things, but it's being controlled in that. Now, my brother-in-law is the quietest speaker And you have like the whole room has to hush when he's going to say something and you all lean in and then it lends so much gravity to whatever he's saying. Like, did Mm -hmm. you try some of the pecan pie I brought? (laughs) And we're all like, oh, and wow. Wow. Right. And it's so different from me. I'm so boisterous and so energetic and so loud and talk so quickly uh, that it goes right over people half the time versus when you just control that you um, exercise some restraint and everybody does listen. There's that other funny meme that um, says that, you know, instead of yelling at your kids to get their attention, you lean down and you whisper it really quietly in their ears mm. and it stuns your kids into submission. <laughs> like it's, the, it has oh. such a better effect on them than it does to yell at them. So just this idea of restraint, it isn't as extreme as I think it is. Like it's just this idea that we can work on growing in self-control and maybe modifying our tone, our message, and all of those aspects of how we're trying to communicate uh, what we want to say. And we've done it, guys. We're here. We're here now at the last step. (laughs) And we find ourselves here at congruity between one's inside and one's outside. We talk about this connection, right? All the time about Mm -hmm. our interior and our exterior are connected and they need to be in sync with one another. So Monsignor Pope summarizes all of this with, you know, whereas pride fosters hypocrisy, when one has cultivated humility, they become people of integrity, honesty, and sincerity. That these are people who sow good seed in their homes, families, and communities. They're the ones others seek out because they are trustworthy, dependable, and safe. And so for me, I think that the humble person is the one who leads others to truth, goodness, and beauty because they are intensely focused on seeking this truth, goodness, and beauty themselves and not so much focused on their own interests and furtherment in this world. Yeah. And I think that when somebody has this, and it's very, very rare that you will meet people who have congruity between one's inside and one's outside, it Mm -hmm. shines through them. It radiates through them. You can't fake it till you make it with this one. Um, Mm -hmm. It is truly being, again, he's like a, a secular 
trendy topic right now, your authentic self. It's when those two things are truly combined. And you're right. We talk about this all the time in our episodes, but Mm -hmm. here's what I've just realized is that we talk about it in lots of little ways, right? In terms of what you're watching, in terms of um, how you serve people coffee, like we work it in everything (laughs) in all of our episodes, (laughs) Um, your interior life and your exterior life. Um, And while those little ways are great at working to unify them, I'm realizing after we've worked our way down through the mountain, you can't do it fully unless you've done all of those other steps. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just realizing that this is not the one I would have expected to be at the bottom of the mountain to be, I guess, like the truest expression of humility. Um, because yeah, we just, I almost feel like we're almost too flippant about it now, Michelle, <laughs> whenever we I mention know. it. Um, mm. because yeah, although I think that the other times we mentioned it, we can work on and try to do, yeah, you really can't unite those two things until you've done all of this other work. So that one caught me off guard, but it, it can't be any other way than this, right? That truly is the fusing of all of the work. It is just the, the finishing of this great quest. So if we take a look at this entire journey, three one-hour-long episodes worth Uh of discussion on humility, on pride, what it is, what it looks like, what to look out for, what to work on, we can see that this is far deeper than just the general understanding of humility, of thinking that you are an awful person. That it goes so much far beyond it. It affirms worth. It affirms your value. It affirms the value of everyone else in the world, your families, your communities. It is so critical and essential. But what I think is really necessary probably for us to remember is that it is so big that it truly is a life's work. And that if we look to the lives of the saints, of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, of all these other holy men and women um, who are our role models and our examples, we see that their life's work can be summed up as a pursuit and an exercise in true humility. You said at the very first humility episode, Lindsay, that there are no saints in heaven who are not humble. And so we can kind of rest in that while also still working really hard on it too, that it is a process and it's not going to be easy. Anything worth fighting for, it's going to be challenging and tough, but with God's grace and accompaniment beside us, we can do hard things and we will make it down off of this mountain in one piece. our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, Michelle, you and I already had a long talk about this, but I've got to share with our listeners that we finally watched the movie A Quiet Place. Yes. Uh, You know? Um, Mm -hmm. So we watched it with our older two kids who are 12 and 14, and we all loved it. I remember many people talking about this film in Catholic circles when it first came out, and I can see why. There is a great emphasis on marriage and family and sacrifice. Um, 
For those of you who are unfamiliar with this movie, it does star John Krasinski from The Office and his wife, Emily Blunt, and it is a thriller, but it drops the viewer into an already existing situation and the viewer isn't party to whatever happened that got these characters into the situation. And there are monster type characters or creatures <laughs> um, mm. who are in the movie and they're blind, but they have exceptional hearing. And so the family has to stay silent for almost the entire film. It's very, very quiet, except for a few moments of noise. Um, it's an edge of your seat thriller, and it was very original and well acted and well written. And it was really interesting watching actors have to convey so much through their facial movements and their body language. I just felt that they did a really, really good job. So just so everybody knows, mm -hmm. part two is actually coming out at the end of this month. Now, one of the things I really liked about this movie is that there was no foul language and blasphemy um, because it was so, so silent. Now from the trailers of part two, they do meet up with other people and it just, it seems like there's a lot more dialogue. And so I'm going to be wary because with dialogue usually comes things we don't want to hear. Um, but I'm interested mm -hmm. in checking it out. So if you guys haven't already watched a quiet place, now is the right time before part two comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we watched that. Um, not right when it came out, but um, it must have been a year or two ago now at this point. But I will say that one of the reasons why I held off watching this one, the first one anyways, because we can't speak to the second, mm -hmm. was because it was touted as such a scary movie. Right. Um, I'm the biggest wuss when it comes to scary movies. And so I really steered clear. But once we watched it, it is more of a thriller. So... Yeah. Like, just if anyone else was like me and they're staying away because they think um, it will be too scary, maybe give it a closer look and see what you think. So, Michelle, what are you loving this week? So, this past weekend, we watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie, <gasps> and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and I wanted to know if you watched it, Lindsay. Mm. Have you seen Spellbound? No. Okay. So, um, it's been on my list since I saw... Um, an Instagram post about it, I think, in one of those vintage movie accounts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's from 1945. It stars Gregory Peck mm -hmm. and Ingrid Bergman. Mm. And it takes place at a Vermont mental oh. hospital. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> like, let me, let me finish. Restraint, yeah. Lindsay, restraint. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so um, Bergman's character... Um, is a doctor. She's a psychoanalyst. And she discovers that the newly arrived replacement hospital director, Dr. Edwards, who is Gregory Peck, mm -hmm. is actually an imposter. And now this happens pretty early on in the film, so I'm not spoiling anything. But the plot thickens from there when Edwards admits that the true director is indeed dead. He fears that it may have been him who killed him, but he is an amnesiac and can't remember anything. So the whole plot follows these two characters trying to piece together exactly what happened. And the film really keeps you guessing the whole time through a lot of various twists and um, plotline pivots. That sounds so good. Where did you watch it? Did you rent it? Um, so I looked, I did look for it anywhere and I stumbled across the entire movie on YouTube. Usually I also like to support movies. Yes, yeah. And so I'm very willing to rent them as well. But I happened to be looking for the trailer and just found the entire movie and yeah. couldn't find it to rent or to stream from anywhere else. So you can watch it right now um, in really good quality oh on YouTube. 
and I was reading that it's actually one of the first Hollywood movies to use psychoanalyst as a major plotline, which I thought was super cool. So if you're looking for a thriller to dive into this weekend, I think we here at The Modern Lady have provided you with a double feature, Quiet Place followed by Spellbound um, from Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.